Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. One Sunday, a pastor preaches a message similar to the one that I'm going to preach to you this morning or share with you this morning about uh, reaching out to our neighbors. And so this family deciding to respond to that, to that talk on Sunday, they invited their neighbors over to their house uh, for dinner on a Friday night. And when the night came and the family was there, the dad kind of, I guess, maybe wanting to show off his five-year-old son said to Johnny, Johnny, will you lead us in prayer? Well, Johnny was a little bit timid and he said, dad, I don't know what to say. And dad said, well, just say what I said this morning at breakfast. Little Johnny bowed his head and he said, dear God, why did we invite these people for dinner tonight? Why is it so hard for us to talk about Jesus? You know, I don't think that story is true, but if it were true, I bet you a number of us might think by the time the evening was rolling around, why did I do this? Why did I invite these strangers over to my house? You know, maybe it's, listen, and this is scary, maybe it's that we're not as convinced, maybe we're not as convinced of the truth we say we believe in as we say we are. You know, I I don't know if that's the reason. I could postulate other reasons, such as the awkwardness of the conversation. You know, talking about Jesus seems to us anyway to be awkward, but I, I don't think it has to be awkward. And listen, this is not just me talking to you. This is not me saying about you. You, you feel awkward. This is me, you know, following Jesus for 45 years, vocational ministry, and there's still an awkwardness, and there's still a, a hesitancy on my part about talking about Jesus. And for some reason in my heart, I just don't believe that's what God desires. I don't believe that's how it should be, that we should be somehow uneasy or awkward about talking about the Lord Jesus. Our story this morning is the conclusion of the encounter that Jesus had with a woman in Samaria in, in, beginning in John chapter 4. Again, I say this every Sunday, but if you happen to be our guest and don't know what we're doing, we're studying through the fourth book of the New Testament. It's called the Gospel of John. And we are just going through this book uh, chapter by chapter, week after week. And Jesus does something really extraordinary in John chapter 4. First of all, he talks to a person of the opposite gender. He talks to a woman, and that is not something that in that culture and in that day he would have done. And secondly, he, he speaks to a person who is of a different race or ethnicity than himself, and, and an ethnicity that would have been shunned by, um, by the folks of his of his ethnicity, right? So he crosses ethnic boundaries and, and he shares with someone that would have been shunned normally by folks from his, from his lineage. His lineage. As, as far as the text uh, today is concerned, if you take nothing away from what I say this morning, and this is not the heart of my talk, but if, if you take nothing away, would you take this away this morning? Would you always remember this? And that is that... The Lord Jesus touched everybody in society. I mean, everybody that people considered social outcast or, or, or even the, the, the woman in this particular case may have been someone that it may have been someone in her own community that was considered a pariah. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus spoke with everyone. So it didn't matter whether you were a leper or whether you were a child. In a culture where the disciples are trying to keep the children from coming to speak to Jesus, Jesus is 
He is talking to them. He's saying, don't forbid them to come to me. I have time for children. He elevated women in a culture that marginalized them. He loved the poor. He loved adulterers. He loved tax collectors. He loved the rich. The only people that Jesus didn't seem to have time for were the religious folks who were filled with pride and self-righteousness. Those were the people that he saved some of his harshest words to. And And since we are the men and women, most of us in this room, who consider ourselves to be religious, we consider ourselves to have a relationship with God, then then let this be a warning to us that it 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 is possible for us to lose sight of whom Jesus cares about. And he cares about the people that a lot of times in society we don't. So if you take nothing away, take that away this morning. Last week we saw Jesus, as he begins to engage this woman, talk about worship. And he talked about how God desires, he is seeking after worshipers. And, uh, and I told you last week that I think that he seeks worshipers because of his great love for his creation. He longs for us to love him. And, you know, Michael shared something with me this week that I thought was a good reminder. He said, you know, it's out of God's love. And again, you know, not because God needs us to praise him. God does not need us to praise him. He is is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. So if God does this, it's because he wants to lavish his love on us. And so when it says he's seeking worshipers, he's seeking worshipers who love him, that God can pour out all this tremendous love and this tremendous desire that he has for his creatures on them. And anyway, as we talked about uh, worship last week, we said that, that worship needs to spring from the heart. It needs to be grounded in truth. And, and worship must be not just a construct of my own creation to a God that I create. Worship must be the way God desires it to the God who actually exists. And he's actually looking for people who are willing to do that. Make, not make God in their own image, but worship the God who is revealed in the Word of God. Okay? And at the end of that conversation, you know, I think she's a little bit confused and she's, you know, she's, all the wind's been taken out of her, whatever sails she might have tried to put up to oppose Jesus. And she says this, she says, man, I know one day this anointed king that we're all waiting for, I know he's coming and he's going to explain all these things to me. You remember what Jesus said? He said, I who speak to you am he, it's me. Man, what a, what a tremendous line. I love that line. What happens next in the story, and so follow me, because catch this, this is going to be what I'm talking about the rest of the morning, but in the rest of the story, what happens, I think, is uh, is interesting, but I think it's also instructive to help us in this whole deal of talking to others about Jesus, because that seems to be the focus of the last part of John chapter 4. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through the text. We haven't read it yet. We're going to read it as we go. You might want to read it in its entirety just to catch the the flow of of the text at some point. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to read through it, and I'm going to share with you several observations that, that I make from the story about talking to people about Jesus. Everybody understand what we're going to do? I'm going to work through the text. I'm going to read through the text, and I'm going to make uh, several observations. I didn't, write, I didn't number them. I think there might be as many as eight, but they're short. Don't get scared. And uh, so I've got several observations that I want you to see about talking to others about Jesus. All right, so here we go. 
The first, the first obstacle, well, let me read the text, verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you, Jesus, seek? Or what do you, uh, why do you, Jesus, speak with her? In other words, they, they're not going to talk to her. They're, they're, they're asking themselves the question, I mean, they, they want to ask Jesus, why are you talking to her, and what is it that you seek from her? But they, but they don't do this. They don't have enough nerve to, to confront Jesus. But you notice they're shocked by the fact that Jesus is talking. And notice they're not, they're not somewhat shocked about the Samaritan part. They're shocked about the woman part. You know, why, why are you talking to this woman? Verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Messiah. Your Bible probably says Christ, which is the Greek word. It means anointed king. This is not the Messiah, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him, coming to Jesus. So here's my first observation. If we're going to talk about Jesus, somehow or another, that has to become a priority to us. In other words, if we're actually going to talk to people about Jesus, we have to make that something that's at the top of our list, something that we are committed to do, something that is a priority for us. Now, what I want you to notice is that she left her water pot there at the well. Now, it doesn't tell us why she left her water pot. Now, she could have left her water pot because she was just trying to be nice to Jesus and his disciples. She, she wants them to have water, so she leaves the water pot there for them. Or it could be that she's in such a hurry to go home to tell everybody about who she's found that the water pot would just slow her down, and so she leaves it and just is going to get it later on. Whichever it is, you know, her priority wasn't water anymore. Her priority was going back home and telling the folks of Sychar that she thinks she has found the Messiah. Now, remember this. She just experienced something supernatural. You remember what it was? Jesus tells her, you know, go call your husband. When she says, I don't have one, he tells her things about herself that nobody else would know. She just experienced the supernatural. And in so doing, I'm sure her adrenaline is pumping. I'm sure there's an emotional response to that. And can I tell you, making something a priority when you're emotionally uh, engaged is so much easier. Wouldn't you agree? If something emotional happens, it be, it, it's easy to make that the priority, okay? So and maybe you and I, I've been following Jesus for 45 years, so some of, that, some of that initial emotion that I experienced when I began to follow Jesus and some of the things he began to do in my life, I've got to tell you, some of that emotion has waned, and I, and I really don't operate in emotion anymore. Not that we ever should. We should operate in, in faith, the Bible tells us, okay? But we can't get away from it. Emotion is important. I mean, emotion drives us. It, it pumps adrenaline in our bodies. It, it affects us. But here's my point. My point is simply that for us to talk about Jesus, whether it's an emotionally driven priority or whether it's a choice, choice priority, if we're going to talk about Jesus, it's got to be something that we decide this is important and this is at the top of my list. And so my challenge to you this morning is to do that, to say to yourself, to commit within yourself that talking about Jesus is something that is so important, I will not neglect this. Now, this morning when I was practicing my message, I realized that I never told you how to do that. I don't, I don't have it in my notes. I didn't say, well, how do you do that? I mean, if it's emotionally driven, it's easy. Everybody agree? 
When your emotions are pumping, it's easy to make something a priority because it's emotionally driven, right? But for most of us, after following after Jesus all these years, some of the emotion dies down. How do I make it a non-emotional priority? And uh, so here it is. <laughs> you just do. Remember the illustration years ago? I mean, I've done it so many times. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I will tell you about it again, as I've done before. And if I would have a big jar of vase up here, and I had rocks, and I had little, big rocks, little rocks, sand, and water, you know, um, and I asked you, so how do you, how do you get the big rocks in the jar? You get the big rocks in the jar by beginning by putting them in there. In other words, if you put the little rocks in the sand and the water in the jar, you won't get the big rocks in there. But if you put the big rocks in there first, and then you pour the little rocks all around it, and then you pour the sand all around all of that, and then you pour the water all around that, and you get all four of them in there to a great degree. But if you don't start with the big rocks, you're not getting the big rocks in the jar. I didn't do it, but I told it. Everybody get it? You get the mental picture of that? Well, it's the same way. It's the same way when, when it comes to priorities in our life. Priorities are what we choose to put in the jar first. And I mean, this is no magic bullet, and, and you might be disappointed, but that's how you do it. You just, you choose, you decide, I am going to prioritize talking about Jesus. Here's my second observation. Talking about Jesus isn't really about talking deep theology. It's talking about your experience with him. Anybody heard that before? When did you hear that? You heard this a few minutes ago from Jack, right? Jack and I did not. We, there, was no, uh, there was no collusion here, okay? <laughs> no collusion between Jack and me. But, that's, but, but what Jack said was what I want you to hear. And let me read it again because it's long. Here's my observation. Talking about Jesus isn't really about talking deep theology. It's talking about your experience with him. And don't misunderstand, I love theology. And I love talking deep theology. I, I mean, I, I, theology is the study of God. And it's the truth about God. I, I mean, I think every follower of Jesus should seek to immerse himself in the theology. I don't care who you are. But, but when we're talking about talking, with, talking about Jesus with others, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about you telling your story about how Jesus has changed your life and affected your life. She didn't share as an authority. She didn't share much. You know, and that's, I think, what, that's what God desires of you. I mean, if you can do more and, and, and the person is interested and there's a door to walk through, walk through that door. But, but don't think that's where you start. That's not where you start. You start by just talking to people about how Jesus has changed your life. Stop thinking that you have to convince people to believe in Jesus. Now, yes, I think we should be persuasive. But that, that's not, that's, Jesus only asks you to be a witness to what he's done in your life. So, so what I notice about her is that I just have to tell about my experience with Jesus. And that's what she does. My third observation, invite people to come and see Jesus for themselves. Do you get that from her? She leaves her water pot, so her priority is no longer the water, but going back home to tell everybody. When she, when she gets home, she has no deep theology. All she knows is, let me tell you, Jesus told me everything about my life that he had no way of knowing. Could this be the Messiah? And then she says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And, and so th this is my third observation, that that is all God expects of, well, should I say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what God expects of you. 
Just in, tell your story and invite people to come and see. I have a new friend, and she's, she's a dear friend to me. I'm sorry. Her name is Kelsey. She's my children's age. And I told her about my own experience with Jesus. And then I invited her to meet Jesus for herself. And let me tell you how I did that. Because you said, oh, where did you send her? Did you send her out by Jacob's well? No. I did that by introducing her to Jesus' story in the New Testament. And I said, Kelsey, read about Jesus for yourself. And Matthew, here's his story. And then I said, read about Jesus for yourself in John's gospel. And I introduced her to Jesus in that way. And can I say, you can do the same. You can do the same. Later in this story, we'll read this. Many more believed because of Jesus' word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one, this one you sent us to is indeed the savior of the, of the world. You don't need to be the greatest evangelist or the greatest apologist. You just have to be you. And this is so freeing. You just have to tell people how Jesus has changed you. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you say, well, I don't know how Jesus has changed me. I don't know. You know, how am I different because of Jesus in my life? I mean, is, and I don't want to just minimize it and somehow say in a bad way that somehow or another that because I follow Jesus, I have eternal life and that's somehow minimal. It's not. It's, it's my greatest hope is that I will live forever and that I will conquer death and I will rise from the dead and I will see my son and my, and my father and all those that I love and all of those that have gone on before us. That is a huge hope in my life. But you know what? Jesus doesn't save us that he doesn't come in and change our lives. I mean, it's just all throughout the New Testament that Jesus wants to transform us and transform us he will. And so you just talk about how Jesus has changed you. Has he given you peace? Has he, has he taken away sin in your life? Has he changed the way you talk? Has he changed what big rocks you put in the jar? What your priorities are in life? Has he changed your fatherhood? Has he made you a different kind of father than you were when you began to follow him? Has he changed your motherhood? Are you a different kind of mom than you would have been? Different kind of child? You see what I'm getting at? There's just all kinds of ways that Jesus changes us. And however he's changed you, you just tell people about that. Find a way to tell people how Jesus has impacted your life. Here's my next observation. And this actually, before I leave her, I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm stretching this one, but here's another observation. It doesn't take putting your, it does, excuse me, it does take putting yourself out there a bit to talk about Jesus. It does, it does take you having to put yourself out there. I mean, there's a risk involved when you talk about Jesus. And, um, you know, she goes home, and did you see what she says? She says to everybody, he told me everything about myself. Now, she's not in a great New York City metropolis sort of area. She's in the little village of Sychar. You think people knew about her five husbands? You think people knew about her life? You think they didn't have opinions about her? I'm sure she did. It's kind of like Jack. If I can use you again, Jack, your, your, your talk tied in so well to so many things that I, I want to say. But you remember Jack said... I didn't want to talk about my past because I was ashamed of it and I didn't want it. I didn't want people to know. 
You know, I'm sure this woman did not want to bring up all the fact that she, for whatever reason, she'd been married five times. I'm sure she didn't want to bring that up. But she goes back and that's what she brings up. Jesus knew about my five husbands. And he knew about the guy that I'm living with now not being my, he knew that. There's some risk in that. There's some risk in putting yourself out there. And so here's what I want to say to you. If you prioritize talking about Jesus, there's some risk in that for you. There's the risk of rejection. You know, I think, I think if there's any reason maybe why we, we don't want to talk about Jesus, it's because we fear ridicule and we fear rejection. So I'm not, I'm not trying to deceive you this morning. I'm, not trying, to, um, I'm trying to be absolutely honest about this and, and say, hey, one of the reasons why it's so hard is because, yeah, when you talk about Jesus, some people will ridicule. Some people will. They will reject you because of that. I mean, I've got so many examples of that just in culture today, you know, that, uh, you know, if you hold any kind of Judeo-Christian view of anything, you are rejected outright from so much in our culture. So if you talk about Jesus, you know, you're going to be rejected. That's true. And and, on another level, can I say this? I'm an extrovert. This lady is probably an extrovert. The only reason I'm surmising that, she's been married five times. She had to put herself out there five times. And I guess an introverted person could get married five times, but it just seemed unlikely to me. And so I think she's probably an extrovert. Maybe it's the only way to survive. But here's what I want to acknowledge. If you're an introvert, maybe it is harder for you to talk about Jesus than it is for me. But I, 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 I honestly believe your introvertedness is not an excuse. It's not something you can fall back on and say, well, this is just for the Michael Tucks. Here I thought I was an introvert. I'm a 50. He's 150. <laughs> so so uh, it's not just for the extroverts that, uh, that are to talk about Jesus. Verse 31. You following in your Bible? Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And uh, he, he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus changes metaphors now. And in this particular case, he, he goes back to the food issue. And remember, remember what they went into town for? They went into town to buy food, right? So here's, here's the observation that I want to make with regard to talking about Jesus. Doing God's will in this work of God, of talking with others, it's food for our soul, food for our spirit. It, it is one of the things that will grow us in our relationship with God. The lady leaves and, and they, they, they say, eat. And he says, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, where'd you get food? We went into town to get you food. How'd you get food? And he says, man, my food is to do the will of God. And he's trying to get them to see that there's a sense in which our soul must be nourished. And there's a sense in which our bodies must be nourished. And in this particular case, he's talking about his inner man. And he says, you know, my inner man has been nourished because I've been doing the will of God. And there's a sense in which you do the will of God in any aspect. You are nourishing your soul, nourishing your spirit. But, but I think in this particular case, the work of God that Jesus is talking about is the work of being the work of seeking to lead someone to himself. Now, he did that, right? But that's what she's going to do as well. But, but that's what he's been about. And he says, this is food for my spirit, food for my soul. My simple way of testimony, can I say to you that in 45 years of following Jesus, nothing has changed me, nothing has grown me, nothing has affected me more in my relationship with Jesus than my willingness to share Jesus with others and my 
commitment to do so. My, my desire and my priority of sharing Jesus. Nothing has matured me and changed me more than that. In other words, as I share Jesus with others, there's, just, there's an aspect of that that changes, that's changed my life and grown me up. And so if you find yourself just kind of a, a, you know, not growing in your spiritual life, can I admonish you, encourage you, exhort you to prioritize talking about Jesus? And I think you'll find that nothing grows you more than that faithfulness in that particular area. I, don't, I can't answer why. That's maybe that's just Jimmy's opinion. That's what Jesus says here. It's, it's, so, it's food for the spirit, food for the soul by doing the work of God. And in the particular, he's talking about, talking about Jesus. Now, the story continues with several more observations of encouragement. But the metaphor changes. And the metaphor changes to one of harvest. So here's my next observation. There are many people who are ready to receive Jesus just as you and me were ready. So in verse 35, Jesus says, Do not say there are four, yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look onto the fields. They are white for harvest. Now that makes it sound like to me... That makes it sound like to me that there's probably four months until harvest is coming. And Jesus says to them, don't say there's four months to the harvest. Now, he's, this is a metaphor. He's talking about whatever the harvest was. Don't say there's four months yet. I tell you, the harvest feels ready right now. It's white unto harvest. Now, let's be honest. The Bible says that, few, that narrow is the gate. Few are going to find it. Broad is the road of destruction. I, I think, by and large, most people... Are, are not going to receive Christ. I wish they would, but I don't think they are, simply because of some of those other things that Jesus says. But, but I want you to notice this. He says the harvest is white and ready. And so obviously what he means is this, that there are people all around us whose hearts are ready whose hearts are seeking, whose hearts have been prepared by the Spirit, by tragedy, by whatever. Their heart is tender towards the Lord, and, and they are ready. And if you and I will step into that harvest field of that particular heart, it's ready. And you'll have the opportunity to, to reap there. I, I've used this analogy, this metaphor, my entire Christian life. Um, I, I, you've all heard it, those of you that have been a part of us for years, but here it is again. If I walk up to a door that has a keyhole in it, I never know whether the door is locked until I go and try the handle. But if I go and try the handle and it's locked, I, I don't kick the door down, you know. I, I try to find a key or try to get it open, but if I go and the door is unlocked, I walk through the door. I kind of I use that as a, as a picture to help me with people. I walk up to Dale. I don't know Dale from Adam, right? I walk up to, I don't know whether her heart is locked to the Lord or whether her heart is open to the Lord. The only way I'm going to know that is if I jiggle the handle. Then I'll know. And if it's locked, I, you know, I just talk about how Jesus changed me. If it's, if it's unlocked, I might do that and I might do more, right? I might, I might try to persuade her to trust in Jesus. But I'm not even asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to share, share. Because when you do, you're going to find that there are people white into harvest all around you. Jesus would say in Matthew 9, probably the next year, the year after that, he would say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The people out there who are ready to receive Jesus are many, but the people who are willing to talk about Jesus, they're few. They're few. 
Here's my next observation. God blesses our telling of Jesus. Look at verse 36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. And i got to tell you, I, I looked at that. I read what people say. I, I don't know what Jesus means by that exactly. He says, already he who reaps is receiving wages. You know, he's, he's getting blessed. He's, he's receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. I mean, does that have something to do with the future kingdom and faithfulness? And you're going to be rewarded for, for talking about Jesus? It could. It could. But here's the thought that I had that I want to just suggest to you. Maybe that the fruit that I'm gathering for eternal life are the people that I'm... That I'm I'm sharing with. Maybe they're the fruit that I'm gathering to eternal life. Maybe, maybe they're the wages that I'm gathering to eternal life when I talk about Jesus with others. You know, my kids will be a part of my fruit on that day. Some of you here this morning will be a part of my fruit that day because I talked about Jesus and, and, and you began to follow him because I was willing to talk about Jesus. Wouldn't you like an eternity Seriously, think about this, follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you like an eternity for somebody to walk up to you and say, thank you, thank you. I'm here, I'm here because you, you took the initiative to talk to me about Jesus. And we'll all be, we'll all be there because of Jesus and nothing else. By grace are we saved through Jesus alone. But you understand what they mean. Man, the, I was introduced to the grace of Jesus because you were willing to talk about Wouldn't that be so awesome? Next observation. I'm almost done. I think i got two left. Telling of Jesus uh, has a sowing and reaping aspect. Look at verse 36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is, is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying... You know, uh, all those people that are out there uh, white into harvest that I was telling you about, a lot of them, other people have sowed in their life. And when you speak to them, you might be the one who reaps, but that's how it works. When I talk about Jesus, sometimes I'm sowing seeds in their life. And sometimes when I talk about Jesus and how he's changed my life, I'm going to be the person who reaps. Now, I'm, I'm not a farmer, so, so Dickie and Sam and... and and Baker and others, you, you tell me, isn't reaping more fun than sowing? Or is it just the same? I think every time I'm dragging that combine and the wheat's going in there, I'm thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So I'm thinking that reaping is better than sowing, okay? And, and so I, I want to say to you that so, re reaping is so much more fun than sowing. I mean, sowing often includes rejection and the ridicule that we were talking about earlier. But man, reaping is so neat. Reaping is so neat. But here's another farmer principle. You don't reap anything if you don't sow. You don't reap anything if you don't sow. They say that most of us who follow Jesus never have the chance of reaping. We never have the chance of seeing someone follow Jesus because I open my mouth to tell them about how Jesus has changed me. And the reason I think that is, is because we're not sowing. Jerry Falwell once quipped, he said, All I know is that the more people I tell about Jesus, the more people God chooses to save. Here's another way of saying what Jerry said. He said, the more you sow, the more you reap. The more you sow, the more you reap. 
And I wonder if the reason we're not more instrumental in reaping is because we're just simply not sowing. One more thought before I leave that text. And you notice that he, Jesus says to his disciples, you are reaping where other people have sowed. What in the world is that about? I mean, isn't he even beginning this whole thing? You know, how are they reaping where other peoples have sowed? This is what I think there. I think he's talking about the Old Testament prophets and godly men of faith who have gone before them. Remember, remember, God is always, the key to following God is always faith. Now, we know the object of our faith today is specifically Jesus, but it's always been by faith. In John chapter 6, it says that the ones the Father gave to the Son. Who did he give to the Son? He gave to the Son all those who were by faith following, following God. So the disciples are reaping, when they're going out here proclaiming and baptizing, they are reaping where other men of God throughout the Old Testament have been sowing in faith. That's what they're reaping. I lied a minute ago. I said there was two. I, got, I still got two. <laughs> this is my second two, all right? Here's my, here's my, next, uh, my next observation. Our telling, Jesus, the telling of Jesus is key to others believing. Verse 39, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. You know, uh, I suggested that, that when we do this, Jesus is giving us rewards of eternal fruit. And I said, it's, it's the people. Maybe it's the people that he means. This, this is kind of dovetailing with that. That when, when, when the way that people come to Christ is it's through us telling. It's through us talking about Jesus and telling people about how Jesus has changed us. And then saying, go and see for yourself. Go and read his story. Let him, let him convince you, okay? Let him convince you. As I share about Jesus, many will believe. Not everybody, but, but many will believe. On Wednesday night, we're studying, we're studying 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, we read these verses Sunday night. I mean, Wednesday night. Listen, it says, for who, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And he says, for who is our hope, our joy, our crown, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He says, at the return of Jesus, you are my crown of joy. You, you, why? Because he had the opportunity and the privilege of leading them to follow Jesus. And he says, at the return of Christ, you will be my crown of joy. In the book of Revelation, it says that we're going to get to lay down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. I wonder, I wonder, are my crowns, at least in part and in some way, are my crowns the men and women who have followed Jesus because I have not been embarrassed by him, made him a priority in my life to, to talk about him and love him and love him first. You know, I was going to tell this story. Let me see if I can abbreviate it just under a couple of minutes. Um, Francis, Frank Jenner was this little white-haired man in Sydney, Australia. In most of his life, he'd go out downtown, he'd stand on the corner, and this is what he'd say to people. He'd say, excuse me, sir, but could I ask you a question? I hope it won't, it won't offend you. But if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it'll be in either heaven or hell. Would you think about that, please? Thank you, God bless you. And he put a track in their hands. And he did this for year after year after year for, for, for most of his life. A pastor in, in, uh, in England, uh, Francis Dixon, heard a sailor come in one day and share that testimony. A short time after that, another evangelistic group came in. They were sharing their testimony, and a man had the very same testimony. A little white-haired guy in Sydney, Australia came up to me. He found that interesting. 
And so then he went to, went to Australia on a preaching tour, preaching in several, several places, and he would tell that story. And the first time he told it, a man started jumping up and down and said, I'm another, I'm another. Told it in another place. Another man at the end of the story, I'm another, I'm another. That's four people. When he ended up in Sydney, he, he looked for Frank Jenner and found him. And found him. And he went to tell him what he'd learned, this story of four men who were following Jesus because Frank Jenner put a track in their hand and said, what I just said to you. And, uh, and Frank Jenner started crying. And he said, you know, in all the years I've been doing this, I never knew of anybody that followed Jesus. Now, don't miss my point in telling you this story. My point in telling you this story is not, I want you to go stand on a corner and hand out tracks. That's not my point. I'll be honest, I'd be, I'd be uncomfortable with that. That's not my point. My point is to tell you the power of your words, that you just never know how that little, that little word that you say about how Jesus changed you and, and how you love him, you just never know how God's going to use that word to be a seed in somebody's heart. Now, I am at the end. Here's my last one. Telling people about Jesus means telling everyone about Jesus. And this is my first thing. Remember I said if there's, any, if there's only one thing you remember, remember this. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Can you, so you get the picture? They come out of the city, and they say, please, please stay with us. Please stay with us. Remember, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, but Jesus goes into Sychar, and for two days he stays with them, and he teaches them, and he tells them about who he is. And then when he leaves, verse 41, many more believed because of his word. They were saying to the woman, it's not just because of what you said, but it's because we've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus talks to the Samaritans who nobody would talk to. And at the end of the day, they say, we know that you are the Savior of the world. And don't let anybody, don't think that anybody's beneath you. Don't think that anybody's so different from you that you can't talk to them. Don't, don't think somehow, just don't have any thoughts like that at all. You be the one who loves across every barrier, every, every imaginable separation. You be the one who crosses those lines. Jim Cimbala once said, as Christians reach out to touch everyone, including the unlovely, who are now everywhere in our society, God touches them too and revolutionizes their lives. I have two invitations for us this morning. Uh, one of them is I'd like to invite you to follow Jesus. No fanfare. I would just like you, I'd like you to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm asking you, as the Apostle Paul said, I, I beg you as through Christ, follow Jesus. Love Jesus. Maybe somebody's here this morning and you've just, you know, this is your day to follow Jesus. Anybody here like that this morning? I want to invite you to follow Jesus. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something I, I rarely ask. And that's, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. I didn't even tell Dickie this, but Dickie, I'm going to ask you to stand here. Because we're going to sing to close here in just a second. But Dickie's going to stand right here. And if you need to receive Jesus this morning, I want you to put some feet to it today. And I want you to get up out of your seat. And I want you to come and say to Dickie, Dickie, I want to receive Jesus. And Dickie's going to share with you how, how that can be. But I have another invitation this morning, and that's for all of us who follow Jesus. And it's an invitation to join the reapers in the harvest, okay? Now, I already said this. Let's see how well you were listening. How do you become a reaper in the harvest? By sowing. Thank you. By sowing. You don't become a reaper unless you sow. And so I want to invite you this morning 
to, to make a choice, to make a decision, to prioritize, to recognize all the observations that I just shared with you, to recognize those and say, yes, I am going to be someone who will talk about Jesus with others. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.